it and uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So when when you were growing up, were you into art? You know, when you were younger, were you into art? What were you into in school? You know, like high school, like sports, art, band. You know, I know you like the guitar, obviously. Um, yeah, I was into art a lot, actually. I took, uh, in high school, I took like all the, the drawing class, the drawing one, two, three, painting one, two, three, AP level, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, art was, uh, you know, a big part of my childhood. Um, I didn't really get into like the graphic arts until later on when I got into the sign business. Um, but from there, yeah, I got into like graphic design and, and more the digital aspect of it all. I mean, where did you grow up at? And, and, and how was growing up? Did you have a good family life? All that shit? I, uh, I was born in Sunrise, Florida. Um, like right outside of Fort Lauderdale, Miami, that whole area. Um, but I moved to uh, Palm Harbor, Florida, which is like the, the West Coast and on Tampa Bay when I was like four years old. Uh, so I pretty much grew up in Pinellas County, um, Hillsborough County, that whole area. Basically Tampa Bay, the surrounding area of, of Tampa. Uh, I went to Tarpon Springs High School. I mean, my parents are still together to this day, you know, pretty much like middle class family, really. Um, you know, didn't have it like super easy. We weren't well off, but we weren't like struggling living in poverty or anything. It was just, I'd say, your typical you know, Florida middle-class family, I suppose. Right, right. You weren't uh, rolling around Rolls Royces, but you weren't, uh, you know, rolling around in a no. skateboard <laughs> or eating noodles, right? So well, that I, I rolled in the skateboards a little bit too, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, just, just kind of, there's nothing really that stands out about my childhood. I'm just kind of an asshole and started getting into trouble at a young age. <laughs> I don't really know why, you know what I mean? I guess like started smoking weed. Uh, hanging around with the wrong crowd, a kind of cliche thing to say, but you know, it is what it is. So then you start working at, at the sign business. Is that in high school when, when you start getting into that? No, that was uh, later on. So like I, I started going after high school, I went to St. Petersburg college for a couple years. Um, I ended up dropping out before I graduated um and at that point i was like partying you know just drinking doing pills uh, i was selling a lot of weed you know some coke and just selling selling drugs um i had my first uh daughter while i was in st p college so i kind of like in my mind i was like well i should just stop going to school and, and get a job and start you know making money to raise my kid um and you know, I, I did that. I, I got a little couple little jobs. Um, but I was also like selling drugs on the side. Um, and then me and uh, the girl, my daughter's mother ended up separating. So I like couldn't see my daughter anymore. So then I just kind of went balls deep in the, the drug world. You know what I mean? Um, selling a lot of drugs that, that this was at a point in Florida when like oxys and all the pill mills were everywhere. So, I mean, I was making a lot of money selling pills, sponsoring people, buying scripts, all this, um, which, of course, that uh, developed like a, a drug habit to opiates. Um, so I did that for a long time, probably eight years of my life. Um, and then 
basically like I wanted to, you know, quit doing drugs or chill out. Like all my friends were dying and going to prison, that whole thing. So I uh, ended up meeting this other girl. Um, she had two kids from a previous marriage. So we decided to move up to Knoxville, Tennessee to kind of get away from the craziness that is Florida. Um, so we, we moved up there. Her mom lives in uh, North Georgia. My parents moved up to Sevierville, Tennessee. So we were just kind of moving up north, getting away from from like the drug scene in Florida, kind of starting fresh. Um, and, you know, that six months, um, I got that's when I got into the sign business. Um, so I had this good job at a sign company. Um, I was on Suboxone, but I wasn't like partying. I was just raising kids, you know, going to work. Um, and I did that for probably three years. The first three years I was in Knoxville. Um, but eventually I ended up getting back into the pills. Um, but I was still working, still functioning. You know what I mean? Um, I, I married a girl. We have a couple kids of our own. Um, I've always been like a, a functioning addict, you know what I mean? Like go to work, raise my family. Most people didn't even know I was on drugs, but, um, uh, like my boss ended up finding out that I was doing drugs. Cause I'd take the work truck into like the hood <laughs> to, to cop, cop some dope, you know what I mean? And he had, uh, like the little next track GPS systems on the, on the work trucks. So he calls me into his office one day and, and basically told me like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop, stop taking my truck to the hood. Like I know what you're doing. Um, and you know, I basically like, I, I asked him, I was like, listen, am I going to lose my job over this? Like, just be, be up front with me. I got kids. I need to know if I need to look for another job. And he was like, no, you know, you're a good worker. You know, he promoted me to lead service, man. He was like, just stop taking my truck. And he's like, what you do on your own time is your business. But in my work truck, you know, stop doing that. So I was like, fair enough. Um, but then maybe three weeks after that conversation, I'm working on my day off. I was working like 70 hours a week. Um, and I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and flipping this bucket truck like five times. Um, got a bunch of staples in my head. You know, it was a bad accident. I'm lucky to be alive, really. But, uh, you know, because of that, then my boss was kind of over it. He, you know, he was basically like, you know, you're a liability now. You're fucking wrecking yeah. trucks. And, you know, yeah. so at, he, at, he the, at go, this basically. point, at this point, he's like, you're whacking trucks. You're, you know, you're, you're taking the work truck. You're mm -hmm. going to get high, whatever. And now you destroyed a truck. You know, it's it's uh, it's time to go. So then. But at yeah, this time, much. at this time, when you're in. um you know, the sign business, are you thinking at all, anything counterfeit, anything fraud, anything like that? No, um, not at that point. Like, so back in Florida, um, when I was going to St. Pete college, actually, when I was just selling drugs, I was hustling, looking for any ways to make money. I did, I counterfeited a little bit back then. Um, and, and like, I probably made that. So a friend of mine, his dad had a friend who was like a connected guy in Tampa. He, I, I ran these bills across him. He thought they looked good. So he started buying them from me. This was when I was 19 in Florida. So now when you're making and, them, um, when you're making them at 19, how, take me through the process at 19, how you're making them <clears throat> so that we can compare later how you became, you know, the best that it, the secret service had seen in 25 years. <laughs> so 
what was the process at 19 when you were doing it just a little bit to get by to basically feed the habit, right? It wasn't yeah. like it was, you know. So it, it wasn't a perfect process um, when I started. So I, I've always read and heard about bleaching, you know, bleaching bills, like taking the ink off of the existing bills. That way they mark, uh, you know, properly with the pen and all that. So I used the Purple Power automotive degreaser <laughs> and soak these. I'd go to the bank and get get a stack of crisp, brand new $1 bills. And then I'd soak them in Purple Power automotive degreaser. Um, I forget the exact like recipe. You add like a little bit of hydrogen peroxide and, um, and you like microwave it. It takes all the ink off. Um, and then I'd take like an electric sander and kind of sand off the ink. Um, which would also thin uh, the $1 bills. So then I could sandwich two together, print a hundred on them and print the strip and the watermark and all that, um, which, you know, they, they look good enough to sell. I think the guy I was selling them to was like mixing it in with a bunch of money to buy a bunch of Coke. Um, but that was basically the, the process. Um, but my friend that linked me with this guy ended up overdosing and dying. So like, and, and I didn't even know the, the guy's phone number. It was all through my buddy. I'm sure he was making some money middlemaning it or whatever. So like, he never wanted me to like exchange phone numbers with the guy I was selling him to because he was kind of orchestrating the whole thing. Um, and so then when he overdosed, like I didn't know how to get in touch with this guy. You know what I mean? Um, so I just stopped at that point. Like I probably, I, I'd say I made... I don't know. Not a lot of money. I was selling them bills probably once every couple of weeks for like a thousand dollars. Um, so, you know, over the course of, you know, four five, six months, something like that, I probably made, I don't, you know, maybe 25, 30 grand, 50 grand tops. Um, so, but over so the course of like six months. So it was. So at that time, if I wanted say $10,000, this episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, Visit trylgc.com backslash Media and get 25% off your test using the code Media. The link is in the description at the top. This episode is sponsored by westonjohnboshay.com. Even after a decade of exposure to the fashion industry while fully immersed in the modeling world, model and future designer Weston John Boucher still hadn't found clothing that checked every box when it came to look, feel, quality, durability, and price. His solution was to create a menswear brand that would bridge the gap between designer-level pieces and reasonable price points without sacrificing quality. 
Weston's aim was to provide men who prioritized their health with effortless sophistication and style through simplicity of flattering fits, handsome designs, and amazingly comfortable materials. It's time to elevate your style. Experience obtainable luxury by Weston John Boucher at WestonJohnBoucher.com. Use the code Tommy to save 25% off your first purchase, their largest discount ever. I'll tell you right now, it would give Imperial Armani, Giorgio Armani, Page a run for its money. So go to Weston, W-E-S-T-O-N-J-O-N-B-O-U-C-H-E-R.com. Use the code Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y, and save 25% off. Link is in the description below. Getting fronted two, three ounces of heroin probably isn't the best idea. because You're I'm probably gonna just going to use know, it anyway. Some and Yeah. Yeah, because I, I didn't know people to sell it to, you know what I mean? So. So obviously like my next thought was back to the counterfeiting thing. Um, so, you know, within those two months before my lease was up, I, uh, you know, did this whole process. Like, uh, you can't scan, uh, bills. It, it won't like allow you to scan it. The computer recognizes the image and like it puts up some like statute as to why you can't scan money or whatever. Um, and the same thing with printing them. If you try and print them, it'll print just like, maybe a half an inch of the bill before it recognizes it. And then it just won't print anymore. So I knew I had to get around that. Um, so instead of scanning the bills, I would take a high resolution camera and just take a photo of them wow. and then upload the photo and then edit that photo. Um, and to enable the printer to print them, I would layer all the images. And I did that for multiple reasons, not, not just to kind of fool the printer into printing them, but also the, like different parts of each bill have uh, like you have to match the colors specifically. And in order to match, say the background color, then the green color of the, the serial numbers and treasury sheets, uh, treasury seal will be off. So like layering it was enabled me to not only print them, but also be able to individually color match all these colors that make up the bill. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I spent like a month and a half, as you're getting better and better and better along the way, what are some of the toughest things you run into when you're trying to perfect it? You know, is it that blue line? Is it the fucking barcode that's buried under the bill? What are the, some, some of the toughest things when you were perfecting the bills that, that, you know, kept stumping you or that you had to keep going back to, to get better and better and better. Yeah. So I knew the way I was doing it when I was 19, like regarding the paper was it, it wasn't the best method. And I knew that I knew sandwiching two sheets together was a good method, but in the whole point of sandwiching bleach $1 bills, this was so they could mark with a pen. Um, but I, after reading online and stuff, I read that if you coat a bill, like I've always heard nail, uh, or hairspray, you spray it with hairspray and it'll, it'll, you know, mark correctly because the hairspray coats the paper. Hairspray. Um, <laughs> but hairspray didn't work very well because when you when you sprayed a bunch of hairspray, it became like glossy um, and it didn't look right. So, but with that being said, I knew that I could coat the paper with something to make the pens work. So I knew that not using $1 bills was the best. Like I didn't want to use $1 the bleach ones anymore because I could just coat the paper with something to make the pens work. So 
I basically started editing these images um, and creating the digital files before I even had, before I even knew what kind of paper I was going to use. Um, so that was like a hurdle was finding the right paper. Uh, I knew I needed to find real thin paper, um, about half the thickness of a bill. So when I sandwiched two sheets together, it would, you know, be the right thickness, but all the paper I found that was that thin, the opacity was, it was like almost translucent, you know what I mean? So when I printed the strip and the watermark, you could see it through the face of the bill, which that was a problem. So I ended up stumbling. I mean, I tried every kind of paper you could think of, like, of you know, looking online. And of course I found like on Alibaba on DHgate, like this starch free, you know, 75% cotton, 25% linen rag paper with red and blue fibers already, you know, China selling this shit, obviously for counterfeiting. But, you know, that sketched me out ordering that to my house. You know what I mean? Because I figured I'd be on the watch list ordering that shit. I don't know, maybe not, but, um, but, you know, after going to like Michael's and Hobby Lobby and but just bookstores i was going through every book just feeling the paper trying to find the right paper i, I eventually stumbled across a bible and the, the blank few pages in the back it was real thin and real opaque um and and most scritta paper is what they call bible paper most scritta paper is a cotton linen blend so it was pretty much just perfect I, and i'd test all the paper with the counterfeit pens of course bible paper turned black but i knew i could coat it um but i'd also test all the paper with a black light to see how it glows in a black light and pretty much all paper uh is bleached in the manufacturing process so it all glows like a bright fluorescent blue whereas uh banknotes glow like a real dull purple um and bible paper glows the same way so i knew like when i found bible paper i instantly knew like this is perfect you know what i mean it's thin to where the thickness will be right if i sandwich two sheets together it glows a dull purple and a black light so then i can mess with the uv inks in the in the strip um and it was opaque and it was just it was perfect so i finally get this bible paper um all the other security features were pretty easy and mind you this was the i was started doing the 96 series with before it had that blue 3d security ribbon i i started messing with that later on but um but every other security feature on the 96 series hundred dollar bills are you know you just print the strip print the watermark that was tough because i had to adjust the opacity and trial and error just to where it was just the right shade of gray to where you couldn't see it through the bottom paper but if you held it up to the light you could see it um which that took a little bit of time adjusting the opacity of the watermark um and the color shifting ink um was another hurdle to so on the 96 series the color shifting ink goes from like a metallic green and it shifts to a black um the the new blue notes go from a, a metallic copper to a green but like I said, I was starting with the 96 series, so I needed to find a green to black color shifting pigment or ink or paint. Um, and I ex experimented with a lot of a lot of different stuff. I started out with nail polish. Uh, um, and then I went on to like color shifting spray paints. And, uh, you know, they sell a bunch of this stuff. You can go online and order color shifting pigments and make your own ink by mixing it with acetone or whatever. Um, but through looking at nail polishes 
I ended up just stumbling across this specific Revlon eyeshadow. It's called holographic eyeshadow, <laughs> which is a, it's a basically just a green metallic green pigment that shifts from green to invisible. <laughs> um, so when I was editing the digital files, that little 100 in the corner, I would just uh, change, adjust the contrast to where it was black. So then when I painted on this metallic green eyeshadow, it would look metallic green until you shifted it. And then the eyeshadow would turn invisible, which would allow you to see the black print underneath. So it, it works just perfect. Then I took like metallic green jelly roll pens and, and kind of touched up a little bit first and then did the eyeshadow. So it sparkled a nice metallic green. But as you shifted it, it, it kind of disappeared and all you could see was my black print underneath. So and, and doing that was good because there's like a cross hatching pattern in the little color shift 100. But since I was printing it, I didn't have to worry about being too particular with this eyeshadow painting it on because I was, I was able to print the image and then just go over it with the eyeshadow. So, but I, I started doing, I finally got after like a month and a half or so I had a, a good looking bill. So that one drug dealer friend I, I mentioned earlier, the big heroin dealer, I started selling them to him. And he was going down to Atlanta, re-upping with these bills. He was mixing in. You know, I gave him, at first I gave him an envelope of 20s, like $5,000 in 20s. He mixed it in with however much else of his real money. He went to Atlanta, bought whatever he bought, probably, you know, a kilo or something, a Coke, whatever it was. Um, and it, it worked. So we had kind of an arrangement. Um, you know, he'd give me all the heroin I wanted, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and when he was going to re-up, I'd give him these envelopes. He'd throw me cash. Like we, he was a friend. So it wasn't just a business relationship. You know what I mean? We just looked after each other. Um, and we did that for about a month. Uh, but then I, I call him one day to go over to his house and he didn't answer the phone. So I was like, okay, that's what weird, but whatever. I called one of his runners and he basically, as soon as he answered the phone, he was like, don't go to, don't go to his house. He's got raided. So I was like, oh, fuck. You know, I mean, I just gave him an envelope the day before that. So I knew, you know, but, uh, you know, word on the street. I talked to a couple people. He, his house got raided for the drug thing. It wasn't the counterfeiting thing, but they did find a bunch of counterfeit money in his house when they raided it. So I look up his charges online. I see, you know, trafficking schedule one, trafficking methamphetamine, trafficking cocaine and counterfeit, you know, counterfeiting or possession of counterfeit or whatever. So that spooked me, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't know if he's cooperating against me or whatever, you know, you never know. Especially so, when he's uh, looking at, you know, on <clears throat> those charges, he's looking at what, 20 years, 30 years on all that, you know, to think that he's well, not going to talk, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the, well, the feds didn't end up picking it up. Really? So I don't wow. know why or how. Wow. Um, but. Yeah. That's shocking, um, right though? I don't know if he I don't know if he cooperated <laughs> or not. I mean it may appear that way, but nothing ever came to you from it from my end. You know what I mean? So did, didn't you I, make, I didn't you make a million dollars with uh Bible paper? Yeah, but just about I mean, I don't know the exact number. Yeah. I'd say it was uh anywhere from like eight hundred thousand to you know, one point two million, somewhere around there. Um but yeah, it was all all with the Bible paper. 
Now, well, all these images that you found, did you find all the information you needed online? Like basically everything you needed to know, were you able to find online? You just had to be, have the articul articulate talent that you have to put it all together? No, no none of none of the stuff I was doing, I found online, really. Um, oh. I would read about, like, so I'd, you know, search newspaper articles, search Google about other counterfeiters, and I'd read their their articles, indictments, all this stuff, all this public record. I'd read other people's, uh, you know, cases to kind of learn from them. Um, and, like, a lot of stuff I would see something that stood out, like say this one dude was counterfeiting in Montana and he used nail polish to replicate the color shifting ink. And that's, that's what I read to start. Okay. I'll look for that. But then from nail polish, I found the eyeshadow. And then, so that like, I would, I would read about other people's stuff. And then if I thought something was a good idea, I'd tweak it and, and make it better, improve on other people's stuff. So it was almost like you were, instance, it, like it was almost sandwiching. like you were watching tape, right? Like, so say you're going to be a boxer or, a, you know, say you're going to box somebody, you're going to watch tape to see how they hit, where they punch you. So you would read the newspaper articles to see where that person messed up. And then you would tweak yeah. it like, okay, he messed up with the nail polish. What else could I use besides nail polish that would be better? Mm -hmm. Th this paper didn't work. Yeah, Let exactly. me see what paper. I see how you did it. But now the software was all the software instance, that you found like, online. Yeah, I used a, a so it was a it's like a freeware it's like a free program called Paint.net, which is basically just a generic Photoshop. <laughs> um, but I, I've always heard that Adobe doesn't allow you to edit images of money. If you open it in Adobe again, it pops up some statue. Yeah. So I had to find like a you know a generic. So editing software which paint.net is basically just as good as as illustrator or photoshop um they it's should, just they, they should like pay you for a that freeware one. online that doesn't have that That's jeff they should be paying you for that plug <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> you should be calling them right now I'm saying sure, hey pay sure me motherfuckers skyrocketed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but like for instance uh when i was 19 what what started me to like gave me the idea altogether to start counterfeiting was this book, the art of making money um, about a counterfeiter up in Chicago. Um, and he was sandwiching two sheets together, but he was, he was using phone book paper, that thin paper from old phone books. Um, and I, I guess in the book, it says that the, the phone book paper marks yellow with the pen. Um, so again, that's kind of like an example as to, he was using phone book paper, but he was, I believe he was also using a, an offset press to color. And, uh, at the time, you know, I, I had inkjet printers, so like, I couldn't really go that route, but then I found Bible paper and it worked even better. So like, yeah, like you said, I, I would find out how other people were doing it and then just try to improve their methods. Um, and, and a lot of the time I ended up veering off and not even doing their method, but their, you know, what I read kind of inspired me to go that route. If that makes sense. How many, yeah. How uh, many, go Rob. How many Bibles were you buying? So, you know, many, my, a lot, a lot of Bibles were you buying? Um, well, I wasn't really <laughs> buying the Bibles. <laughs> I would, uh, Bibles are expensive, especially when I first started. Um, you know, 
a Bible's like 50 bucks, you know what I mean? <laughs> so if I was to buy every buy, like I'd, I'd lose a lot of money really. Um, but no, I'd go into like, a, uh, I got them all different types of ways, but like I'd go into bookstores and just, you know, stand like I'm reading the Bible or whatever, open up a, a Bible, flip to the back, say there's two blank pages and I just rip it out and put them in my pocket and put the book back. You know, uh, there's not usually not, there's that, usually not, yeah, not that, cameras that, in that's, like uh, and Noble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Rob, the engineer. You can't see him, but he's in the back. So once in a while, he'll jump in with some questions for you. But when you come, you'll meet him. <laughs> I got you. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Um, but, you know, some Bibles uh, are like study Bibles. So it's got like 50 blank pages in the back. That's that's so the like take notes or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. There, there was one specific Bible I remember called the Jeremiah Study Bible, and not only did it have like probably forty blank pages in the back, but it was also like this big, so I could fit like one side, two sides, three sides on one page. You know what I mean? Most Bibles are are this big, and you can only fit one side on each page. So if there's two blank pages in that Bible, it's only worth a hundred bucks because you got the front side and the back side. Wow. Um, but it's those Jeremiah study Bibles, What's you know, that? I mean, you, you can get three sides per page and there's 40 pages. It's worth like six or seven grand in that one Bible. It's almost like uh, God was calling you to make the money, right? He was, <laughs> he was telling you, you have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you could look at it that way uh, i mean i think i was a, a a drug addict in a desperate situation motivated to to make some money but sounds good though right um <laughs> sounds really yeah good. so like also reading reading the reading these articles um i'd also find out where like other counterfeiters how they got caught not only their printing methods or whatever so like i found a lot of I read a lot of articles about people like more amateur counterfeiters would like go into a store and buy something. The cashier would recognize the bill was fake. She'd accept it anyway, but then call the police. The police show up. They look on the camera, get his license plate number, pull him over 10 minutes later and find him with a wad of fake money. So like through that, I realized, okay, I need to obviously park my car far away so they can't get my license plate number. Um, you know, so like park in some neighborhood over here and walk, you know, 500 yards to a shopping mall. You know what I mean? So that way they couldn't get my license plate and also not keep extra counterfeit on me. That way, if I did get caught, I wouldn't have a pocket. I wouldn't have $5,000 in more fake money if I got caught. If, you know, if I got caught spending one bill, and they catch me after and they search me and don't find any more counterfeits, then I'm justified to say like, oh, I didn't know that bill was counterfeit. I just cashed the check, blah, blah, blah. But if they catch you with 10,000 more counterfeits, it's like, you know what I mean? So like all these little methods that I did were, you know, yeah, learning from other people's mistakes. Um, and then I'd read articles about the more like professional counterfeiters that were all set up by informants who, you know, people were selling these bills to people and they were set up. So I knew I needed to be careful who I dealt with um, as far as like undercover agents. You know what I mean? So that's why I mainly dealt with drug dealers was because I'd go buy heroin off this dude. I know he's not an undercover secret service agent because I just bought heroin off. You know what I mean? So then I'd offer him to him like, hey, I got these bills or I'd just rip them off and he'd find out and want to buy them or whatever. But I was trying to stick 
who I dealt with in this like gangster drug dealer criminal world. You know, I mean, obviously. What was um, besides and also besides being besides the uh, drug dealers that you had sold to when when you're selling to whoever that isn't a drug dealer, what would you look for? in that person to validate to yourself, okay, this isn't an informant, this person's safe. Um, uh, you know, the same, the same thing anyone would, you know, anyone in that life would look for really, if you, you know, if you see somebody commit crimes blatantly or, you know, I'm a pretty good judge of character. I know somebody who's about his shit or not. Um, but I mainly did only deal with drug dealers. Cause, uh, you know, they had a lot of money to, to, you know, I mean, like, I mean, I, well, I wouldn't say that. Cause I guess I did, there, there was a lot of drug addicts that I knew that I would give them a few hundred dollar bills. They'd go into stores, come back, break it, give me their visa card that they bought and half the change or whatever. Um, you know, cause like I'd go into say like a big box retailer. I don't know if I should say, you know, like Walmarts or whatever. Um, and I'd go in with like two girls and I'd go to the electronic center, buy a, a hundred dollar prepaid visa card. There's a little $3 service fee added to it. So it'd be like $103. I'd give them two fake hundred dollar bills and I'd get, you know, $97 change and a hundred dollar prepaid visa card. And then I'd go to the garden center register and do the same thing. And then I'd go to two registers up front and do the same thing. And I'd bring two girls in with me and they kind of do it also. So we could go into a Walmart and leave with, you know, 1500 bucks. And then, you know, there's a Walmart every five fucking miles in Knoxville, Tennessee or all around, you know? So, you know, you all day, every day going from Walmart to Walmart to, you know, grocery store to dollar store to, and just, you know, it, it racks up pretty quick. You know what I mean? So now how would you recirculate but, uh, it and lay low? Were, were you buying things? Were you laying low? the money that you did make when you were doing this, were you hiding it, spending it, you know, how would you use it to try to stay under the radar? Um, I mean, so like the, the total number, like I said, was about a million dollars, but you've got to think that was over the course of like a year or a year and a half. You know what I mean? So I wasn't making a, like enough money to where I could, I wasn't like buying houses and cars and you know what I mean? Like, I would, but I was making a good like 5,000 a day and living lavishly kind of blowing it <laughs> really. Yeah. You know I mean? I had, I had, I had four kids. I was raising a wife. We were living out of hotels. We were constantly making road trips to, to break these bills. So like between gas and going out to dinners and, you know, I buy jewelry and, you know, Louis Vuitton bags and I had a little Gucci belt and, you know, just whatever. Really, looking back, I should have been burying in a hole somewhere and, and being smart about it. But at the time, I didn't think I was going to get caught. You know what I mean? I was I was living out of hotels. You know, the, the rooms were always in anonymous names or other people's names. You know what I mean? Like, I, I bought a new cell phone once a week, you know, and I'd contact the people I was doing business with. Hey, I got a new number. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I was pretty safe about everything, really. Um, like, if I was going back to my where my equipment was, I'd pass it and make a U-turn and pass it again and make another U-turn. I was constantly looking under my car for GPS trackers. <laughs> like I was paranoid. So, I mean, I really didn't think I was going to get caught. I figured like, okay, I'll, I'll do this until I got, you know, 
six, seven hundred thousand, and then I, I'll just stop. You know what I mean? Because I did that when I was nineteen. I didn't make that much, but I got away with it. You know what I mean? I did it for like six months. I made fifty grand or whatever, and then I just stopped. And only two or three people even knew I did it. You know? Yeah. So I was kind of thinking that that would be the case this time. Now, throughout the, uh, you know, as you're building up, building up, getting better, 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 more clients, give me two stories that, that stick out to you that you didn't get caught, but were close calls or just two just real crazy situations you were in throughout that time period that either you thought it was the end or, or you, you barely got out of there alive or whatever before it became, you know, the end. Um, well, let me think. I mean, there was obviously, as far as like spending the bills myself, there was a couple cases of like, I wouldn't say it was, it made me nervous, I would say, but like, so I went to this one, uh, grocery store. I think it was a save a lot in, in the East side of Knoxville, kind of the hood. And I went to this one chick, like I picked the cashiers pretty specifically um, that I went, went to. So like, I recognized this one chick, I broke a hundred dollar bill with her. <clears throat> uh, you know, everything's fine. I left like maybe two days later, I go back and I see that same cashier. So I was like, <clears throat> I forget my exact thought process, but I, I chose to go to her again. Um, because it worked on her last time or whatever. And I, I handed her this bill and she like marked it with the pen she held it up and looked for the strip in the watermark, marked it with a pen again, and, you know, was like really looking at it. And I remember like asking her, I'm like, is there a problem? And her, her saying like, oh, I just received a counterfeit bill uh, a couple of days ago. So I'm just double checking everything, making sure, you know, I mean, and it was the same, <laughs> you know, I'm the same dude, the same bills, everything. But she still accepted it. But I thought, you know, I mean, that was when when she said, oh, I just accepted a hundred dollar bill a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, shit, they're looking for him. But she still accepted it. Um, and that goes to show how good the bills looked. like. She's double checking everything, all this. But um, there was one case where. And it was actually the guy that set me up eventually. But before all that. So he was a part of this like family of drug dealers. So his cousin, I met his cousin first, was dealing with him. And then his cousin uh, went up to Cleveland and got caught with a machine gun, whatever. So he went to jail, but he left the phone to his brother. So they all had the same phone number for like years. They just kicked the phone back and forth to each other. Um, so his brother started selling. Um, now, the cousin knew I was a counterfeiter, but his brother didn't. And his brother was kind of a dick. <laughs> So like I, uh, I offered to sell him these bills and he was like, no, I don't want nothing to do with that. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, whatever. But then he kept just kind of being a dick, you know what I mean? So I ended up ripping him off, <laughs> which he knew I was a counterfeiter. Like he still accepted the bills, but he didn't know until later. <laughs> and I think I got him for like a thousand dollars worth of heroin or something. I give him these fake bills. He, accept some and then like a day later he calls me all pissed off whatever um and i just ignore his call whatever so then he goes back up to cleveland and gives the phone to his brother who's the guy that set me up but his brother i did the same thing i started ripping him off <laughs> um and he never found like 
it took him a while to find out these bills were fake. I was buying probably like an eight ball of heroin, probably like three or $400 worth of heroin a day from him for like a month straight. So I probably got him for close to $10,000. Um, but then one day, I, I suppose he told me this later, it was raining and his wad of money in his pocket had one of my bills on like the outside and it got wet. So the color shifting makeup smeared off of it. <clears throat> so um, I go, I pull in my driveway and well, I, w- I was getting this dope from him through this girl that I was living with at the time. <clears throat> so I pull in my driveway and he's in my driveway fucking yelling at my roommate. Like, fuck you, bitch. You know, you, you've been giving me these fake bills all this time, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, but he didn't know they were coming from me because the girl was the one getting um so like i hear this and i'm thinking like oh fuck this is gonna be a, a problem you know what i mean he's in my driveway yelling about how i'm you know he's getting ripped off counterfeit money i was like i did the math and i was like man i probably fucked this guy over for like 10 bands over the course of a month you know it's probably gonna be a problem so i like walk by into the house and i overhear him yelling at her like you know i don't even care about the money i was able to spend him anyway i just want to meet the guy I want to know where you were getting these bills from is what he was yelling to this girl. So basically like the next day I I get his phone number and I call him and um, basically like, yeah, I'm the guy you were looking for yesterday. You know what I mean? Let's meet up and we could talk. Of course, at first he was, he was kind of pissed. He was like, Oh, you owe me fucking $10,000, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I basically just had to tell him like, listen, I'm not, you're not, I'm not paying you $10,000. You're a fucking heroin dealer, bro. Like you should understand the game, bro. And and besides, you know what I mean? You were able to re up, you were able to spend them. Like you're not really even out money. So why the fuck would I give you $10,000? So what are you, you what are you bitching about? Right. Exactly. So I bought, I basically said, I was like, but you know what I mean? If you, if you want to keep buying, if you want to buy them from me, I'll, I'll, we can do business together, but I'm not, I'm not just like, oh, you caught me. Let me fucking pay it all back to you now. Like, no, it's not working like <laughs> to that. a heroin dealer. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm like, bro, you're out here selling fentanyl, and <laughs> and you're trying to talk like like pity pity you because I ripped you off <laughs> yeah. when you weren't even you didn't even lose any money in the whole thing. Yeah, you're killing but, people out here, pal. So, I'm just selling you ten grand that isn't real. What the fuck are yeah. you talking about? I was like, that heroin's your hustle. This is my hustle. I'm <laughs> sorry you got the brunt end of it, but you know what I mean. It's, you're 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 giving a million other eating. people the brunt end. Exactly. Exactly. Um. But, you know, he was basically cool with that. So we started doing business. Um, and every time he'd go up to Cleveland, uh, you know, he'd want like 10000 worth of, of my bills. He'd give me like 2500 for him. Um, and he'd go buy his like brick of heroin, whatever, with, you know, up in Cleveland and Detroit and shit, like a, a kilo of heroin or at least a kilo of fentanyl. It only goes for like $25,000. Um, so and it's good enough to basically turn into two kilos and sell it down in Knoxville. So like really if he's putting mixing in 10,000 in fake bills, he's only putting in 15,000 of his real money. He's getting a kilo, cutting it to two and then selling it, you know what I mean? So like, like he's just, they're making astronomical money, you know what I mean? And that's why so many drug dealers come down to smaller towns like Knoxville is because they're from Detroit which is just the market is saturated with drug dealers and fentanyl, high grade drugs. You know what I mean? So obviously if you come down to like 
Chattanooga or Knoxville or these like mid-level cities, then, you know, a gram of heroin goes for a hundred bucks in Knoxville where it goes for 40 bucks in Detroit. So if you get a brick in Detroit and come down to Knoxville and sell it, you're quadrupling your money. You know what I mean? So a lot of people did that. And I was doing business with, with most of those guys in Knoxville from Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, Cleveland. While, while we're on this, when did you notice the fentanyl spike where it just went out of control and now it's just killing everybody? When did you notice fentanyl, 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 and now it's just everywhere? Yeah, I'd say at least in Knoxville, uh, probably like six years ago, maybe eight eight years ago or something. Damn. When I first moved to Knoxville, I was still doing pills, like Roxy's and stuff. So um, I didn't notice it then, but you know, then the heroin was cheaper, so I st- you know started doing that. And ever, I mean, ever since I started in that world. It was, you know, every now and then you'd see a guy with just plain white powder, which, you know, isn't fucking heroin. It's it's obviously just fentanyl. But I'd say the past few years, people don't even hide it anymore. Like it used to be like they deny it was fentanyl. like, oh, no, this is real heroin. But it's like it's just, you know, crisp white powder. That's not heroin. You know, what I mean, heroin's like make- this episode is sponsored by Aurora. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and there's a new victim every 14 seconds. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aurora, who is sponsoring this video. Aurora is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all into one easy-to-use app. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aurora for free for two weeks and see if you or anyone in your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today. Go to aurora.com MSCS. The link is in the description below. This episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water. Well, fentanyl. You know what I mean? You buy it online on the dark web in China. It's like it's like fluorofentanyl or, you know, U47700, which are like designer drugs that are just really strong opiates. Yeah, it's, it's all synthesized now, I'd say. A friend of mine, he, he didn't even realize at the time, this was maybe six years ago, a friend of mine, he was into the analogs. He was doing like, mm-hmm. a, Zan, I forget what the one for Xanax was called. It started with a Z, I think. It was real close, but the, yeah. pro- the problem with all the analogs was the half-life. So you would take like an analog mm-hmm. of Xanax or, you know, opiate or whatever, <clears throat> and... It would wear off, say, in four hours, whereas the real, say, Xanax yeah. really wore off. But with the analog, you wouldn't feel it, but you would take more. So say you took four milligrams, even though you don't feel it, when you take another four milligrams, it's actually eight and then 12 and 16. Yeah, yeah. And then people were croaking left and right because of the half-life, unlike the actual drug. So one day my buddy, 
he yeah. he was living in New York and he was checking the federal guidelines every day, just waiting for the analogs to go illegal. Mm-hmm. The one fucking day mm-hmm. he went out to a strip club. That morning, they turned all those analogs into a schedule one or whatever. He gets home that morning. Times Square is covered with the SWAT team, hazmat suits, everything. They come, rip them out, and take them. And this was just like a computer guy a decade ago that an analog was kind of just, it was equivalent to, uh, what's that shit everybody's on now that's like heroin you buy at the bar? I used to have it at my bar. It's terrible for you. The green packet and the blue packet, you know what I'm talking about? What's this stuff called, Rob? I don't know. They buy it, they get addicted to it. There's a green packet, a red packet, it's some plant. Um, Kratom? Kratom. Kratom. Uh, Kratom? Kratom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was back in the time when an analog was equivalent to like Kratom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as far as legality. Yeah. And that yeah. one day he got hit. Yeah, they, they were selling them in gas stations and head shops and shit. Yeah, everywhere. Like bat salts and all that stuff. So with all these deaths from the heroin, is it really just these drug dealers, you know, sitting in their basement, taking a wild guess as to how much to put, how much fentanyl to put in to not kill somebody? Or is it coming pre-mixed or what? Um, most websites I've seen, they, some places do sell pre-mixed, but the majority is like now fentanyl and its analogs are illegal in the U.S. So all of it's illegal. So now, you know, you're not, these people aren't buying shit from like legitimate vendors. They're buying it from China and it's like, you know I mean? So you're getting, that's the other thing. Like at least out of the dudes I was messing with, they're all fucking idiots, bro. Like they, they don't know chemistry. Like the proper way to cut fentanyl is to like dissolve it in a liquid. To, to ensure that it's fully soluble in this liquid so it's evenly distributed. You know what I mean? Um, but, like, most of the guys I knew were just taking a fucking blender and throwing pure fentanyl in a blender mixed with inositol or whatever and just blending it up for, like, two minutes, and then there you go. You know what I mean? So it's like – and a lot of people, at least on, like, the kilo level, you know what I mean? Not, I'm sure the people that are moving hundreds of kilos, making tens of millions of dollars, like I would hope they know what they're doing. But like a lot of these guys that are picking up a brick and turning it into two bricks, they're just street dudes. You know what I mean? That just got out of prison and they, you know what I mean? They don't know what the fuck they're doing as far as chemistry goes. You know what I mean? Most people, a lot of people cut heroin with stuff that's not even water soluble. So when people go to like shoot it up, it doesn't even dissolve in the water and it like clots their blood. It's really, I never used needles. I always just snorted, snorted it. You know what I mean? So, so being that, that was never a problem for me, but like being that you've kind of, you know, you've kind of been through this and you had an issue with it. Do you, do you think that like Portugal, they have like drugs are legal there. And if you get hit with say a kilo yeah. of heroin, they, they put you on a thing for a year, but it's real. It's not rehab like here. It's real rehab where there's actually the person who you talk mm-hmm. to had an addiction. So when you go talk to them, they're not like, Hey Jeff, how are you today? How's the sunshine? Like you're actually talking to someone who previously had an addiction and knows how you feel. So the way Portugal does it, if you get hit with a yeah. kilo of heroin, you have to go to like outpatient for a year, real rehab. If you complete it, it's off your record. You can go into Walgreens and buy whatever you want. Do you think that they should do that here? Being yeah. being that we see what's happening, you know, like 
you have the guy on the corner taking fentanyl that's deadly as fuck, putting it in a blender, hoping that it's right, and selling it to the guy, yeah. you know, just trying to get a fix so he's not sick. Well, it's really hard to say. So, like, I mean, I'm not a, you know, a, a politician. So, like, I mean, how what I believe personally is, like, yeah, if anyone should have the right to do whatever they want to their body. You know, I mean, drugs, like, my first instinct is all drugs should be legalized. You know what I mean? Because it's not really harming anyone. The drug war does more harm than good. Um, but from like to, to look at what it would do to society, especially American society, because we kind of while out in America, you know what I mean? Like as far as drugs go, um, I don't I, see. I don't know. I, I think maybe they should decriminalize it and do something like that. Like yeah, they shouldn't be given 20 years for an ounce of heroin or whatever, you know, in the feds, you can get caught with a couple ounces of heroin. And it's like mandatory minimum 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's too extreme man. that's ruining people's lives. And then when you go to prison for, you know, like the mandatory minimum for meth, for instance, is 10 years. If you send somebody who's just, you know, selling meth just to support their habit, like they're not these big drug dealers and they're still getting 10 years in prison. And all that's doing is throwing them in a cage with a bunch of kingpins, you know, and then it just it perpetuates the problem, you know what I mean? Because then you get out of prison, you know, all these big drug dealers from prison and it just, you know what I mean? The yeah. war on drugs, the way they work, you it got, doesn't. Yeah, you go to work. prison for that kilo of meth, and all you do is sit there for 10 years and get schooled. You get schooled so that when you yeah. get out in 10 years, you know what I mean? You're a professional. So I think that, yeah, in, my, I mean, in my opinion, the only way it would work would be the whole structure would have to change. So, yeah, you make it like legal, decriminalize it. But if you get caught with it, if you get addicted with it, you don't throw somebody in jail, let them go through withdrawal in jail, be around a bunch of criminals. Uh -huh. You would have to have a whole system where, okay, if you're going to decriminalize it, how are you going to really re rehabilitate people? They, they need to copy exactly what Portugal did, but that would take the blue and the red to agree on something, which will never fucking happen. So yeah. it will never happen. And, you know, yeah, it, it won't. I mean, and also America in America, man, the war on drugs is such big business. You know what I mean? Well, think yeah, about like the imagine. private prisons, the private much, prisons. If money? you make it legal. Yeah, exactly. The boom, they're gone. Prisons. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's lobbyists. There's so much money involved in it. Plus, like the DEA, how much? I don't know what the DEA's annual budget is, but they're going to fight against legalizing drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they probably get, you know. Three billion dollars a year, or some shit, for, you know. And if you legalize drugs, that takes that away from them. So there's all federal agents fighting against, you know, legalization. It's, it's just, you know. But also like the conspiracy law. Like I, for instance, I was locked up with a guy who was an Uber driver. He's this innocent fucking Middle Eastern dude. He, not a criminal by any means. He was an Uber driver. These dudes in Knoxville were getting Ubers to go sell hair, uh, sell meth. So like they got an Uber, this kid picked them up. They, oh, take me to this house and then back to my house. And, you know, they were selling meth through this Uber driver. The Uber driver didn't even know what was going on for the first few times. Eventually, the Uber driver kind of figured out that they were selling drugs. But he was like, listen, if you need a ride, just take my cell phone number and you don't have to go through Uber. Just call me and I'll pick you up. Um, you know, just throw me 20 bucks cash or whatever. 
So he did that a few times and that dude got wrapped up in a meth conspiracy. You know what I mean? He got 10 years in prison. I do that all the time. Driver, I do know, that the, now. The I'll give the guy 20 bucks. Say, can I just yeah. call you when I need you? Isn't that? Yeah. Crazy? Yeah. You're fucking well, 10 years. They, they, they were selling meth though. And, and just because, just because he knew he was aware that they were selling meth, he then became a part of their conspiracy driving around drug dealers or whatever. A but decade like, though? A you know, decade? it's just fucked up. A decade? Yeah, exactly. Mandatory minimum. Meth conspiracy. Ten years. So now What's we... crazy is the kid didn't even cooperate either. Like, he took the... Fucking, <laughs> he, he took it on the chin, time, too. <laughs> Uber, Uber driver him. took it on the chin. He's tougher than these kingpins. <laughs> <laughs> so now, as the yeah. counterfeiting escalates, at what point do you know that you're starting to get hot? At what point do you do you know that the heat is on? What what was the first sign that you knew that the heat was on? Um. Well, I guess so. Like, there's this Facebook page in Knoxville called Knoxville Crime, right? And it's like <laughs> most of it is like people post like, "Oh, this person hit my mailbox and drove off, and I got a picture of his license plate." They post it on this little Facebook page. It's like a community crime stoppers type thing. Um, and one day I forget who it was. Some friend of mine like texted me a picture of me at a register breaking a hundred dollar bill. And he was like, Oh, you're all over Knoxville crime. Oh, God. So I was like, Oh shit. You know what yeah. I mean? But I figured like that was the first like uh kind of semi official, like uh, Oh fuck moment. You know what I mean? Like I did, I still didn't think like nobody knew who I was or, you know I mean? It was just a picture of me. I knew it was me, but like, I didn't think that I would actually get caught because of it, but it was still like, Oh fuck. Like this is the first. And, and, you know, I've been breaking bills, like, you know, 20, 30 times a day, every day for a year and a half straight at this point. And then finally this comes up. So I like, I knew it was inevitable eventually, but yeah, the Knoxville crime thing, um, and then I saw like a bolo out on me and my wife, like a be on the lookout, oh, shit. um, issued by the Knox County sheriffs or whatever. Um, and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know my name. It was, it was just like an official bolo. Uh, but, uh, but that's not good though. So like, yeah, I, I no. Yeah. I mean, that was probably <laughs> a month or two before I got set up. So like, but ironically that had nothing to do with them setting me up. Like, uh, so that, that guy from Cleveland, I started selling, uh, money to like, we'd go up to Cleveland together once a month. I'd bust bills on a road trip up to Cleveland. He'd go pick up his brick or whatever. And we'd come back, you know, uh, we ended up renting a house together. Um, Cause he, he got this house and was basically, basically like, you know, you're spending 120 bucks a night on these hotels, just move in with me. And you know, you can set up shop in the back of the house and whatever. So we did that. Um, <clears throat> and like, we were supposed to go up to Cleveland together. Um, but I got arrested on a little, like I got pulled over and I had a failure to appear for a traffic ticket. So I had to go to, to jail. Um, and it was like the warrant was out of Blunt County, which is right next to Knox County. Um, so by the time I got to Knox County Jail, they were like, "Oh, you can't bond out. You have to wait until Blunt County picks you up, and then you can bond out from Blunt County." So I was like, "Motherfucker!" So I sat in Knox County Jail for like 
it was a Friday night. I got arrested. They don't do transit over the weekend. So I had to sit there till, you know, late Sunday night, whatever. They pick me up. I bond right out. I go back to the house and this dude E already left. He went up to Cleveland without me because I was, you know, in jail for two nights. So, but I didn't care, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But one of his runners, this girl Summer, she's like, well, E told me not to tell anybody, but he got arrested up in Cleveland. Oh, boy. So, like, when she said that, I I, I knew, you know, Trump. he was cooperating. Because, like, why would he tell her not to tell anybody, you know what I mean? So, and in this house, I had, like, the back room had, like, four printers, a couple computers, a big light board, guillotine cutters, you know, a big ventilation exhaust fan to suck the lacquer out of the window when I sprayed the bills with lacquer. Um, so I gathered all my equipment and fucking left the house. Cause I was like, it's only a matter of time before, you know, he brings the feds here basically. <laughs> um, so we, you know, me and my, my wife at the time, we get a hotel room. We're staying with this, uh, this other girl who was a runner for these Detroit guys I was doing business with. And like a day or two later, I'm I'm printing this order of six thousand for these Detroit guys, and this dude E calls me, and like I, at first I my my first instinct was just don't don't answer the phone, you know what I mean, just avoid him, which I looking back on I should have done, but I was thinking like he doesn't know that I know that he got arrested because some are just like warned me. Um, so I was thinking, you know, I'll answer the phone, talk to him, just deny anything he says. And that might go in my favor, I guess. But so he calls me, he, we, we never talk on the phone too. So like he was being vague, which was normal. Um, but he was like, Oh, I need that money. And, uh, you know, I just kind of vaguely answered. I was like, Oh, I owe you money for rent. I'll pay you next week, whatever. I'm out of town. But then he was like, kept pushing something and and it it kind of pissed me off to where i was like listen bro like i know you just got arrested up in cleveland like you're acting fucking sketchy you know what i mean um why didn't you tell me you got arrested and so he came up with this story like um yeah i got i bought this car and it was stolen so i got arrested for that and i had to use some of the money to bond out so i couldn't re-up in cleveland so i'm back in knoxville i need to re-up in knoxville um, he was like, can you get me 700 grams, uh, from your Detroit people? And when he asked me that over the phone, like I instantly knew, like we never talk about drugs like that over the phone. So he asked me that and I was like, bro, I'm not a drug dealer. Like you're a drug dealer. Why are you asking me for drugs? Like, I'm not having this conversation with you. Goodbye. And, and I hang and, up the phone. And wasn't, wasn't the but, fact that he asked seven grams, wasn't that weird? Like a weird number? Like why, why seven grams? That to me that would no, seem 700 weird. Hundred grams. Oh, seven hundred fucking. Okay, seven hundred. Okay, I take yeah. that back. <laughs> That's quite a bit. There. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. like you're yeah, asking me for seven hundred grams phone. over the phone. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I got, I got twenty, twenty thousand dollars. Get me seven hundred grams, and I was like, bro. Did you have like, a concussion in that car accident? About gram. Yeah, for real. So. Yeah, I ended that conversation. I was like, bro, you're out of your mind for even asking me that. I was like, I don't even sell drugs, you know, goodbye. I hang up the phone. But I was thinking like, 
you know, I'm in this hotel room in an anonymous name. He asked me for shit over the phone. I assumed the feds were listening in on that phone call, but I straight up denied. I was like, I'm not a drug dealer, bro. Why are you asking me for that? You're out of your mind. And he even admitted that I wasn't a drug dealer. You know what I mean? Because when I said that, he was like, oh, I know you're not a drug dealer, but I just know you know people and figured you could help me out and middleman it for me or whatever. So, like, I was thinking, well, if the feds are listening, you know what I mean? I denied dealing drugs. He admitted that I don't deal drugs. So I'm like, you know, I figured they were probably building a case on me. You know what I mean? They were looking into me, but they didn't have any evidence. You know what I mean? Because when they went to the house, I got, got all my equipment and took it. So, like, all this stuff. Like, I figured they weren't looking for me to arrest me then and there. Um, so I just go back to printing this 6000 for these Detroit guys. Um, my wife and the girl we were staying with uh, leave the hotel room to go shopping. This is like nine in the morning. Um, then I'm staying in the hotel room, cutting and printing, starting to spray bills with lacquer, all this stuff. And I hear a knock on the door like five minutes after they left. So like my first thought was that they forgot something in the hotel room or something. Cause they, like I heard a knock like five minutes after they left. So I was like, Oh, they must've forgot something, but I still went and looked at the people and it was just blacked out. Somebody's thumb was over it. So my first thought was like, Oh, this is my wife fucking with me or something. You know what I mean? Like knocking on the door, forgot something. She's putting her. And I was like, man, it's not funny. I'm like, I'm not opening this fucking door until you move your thumb. Like, you know? And then I just hear like, Jay, open the door right now. And I was like, oh, fuck, like some grown ass man's on the other side of the <laughs> Not a good sign, you know, but I like I look through the window and I see like the shoulder of a, a sheriff uniform, you know what I mean? And like they were just lined up. Um, so at that point and I'm stuck in this hotel room, there's no back door, no windows, you know what I mean? Like, so I uh, I get a few thousand dollars in this fake money. I go throw it in the toilet and I flush it. And it goes down. And then I, I throw another few thousand in the toilet, go to flush it. And like, they shut the water off because they, I guess it, the informant told them that I, you know, was sharing this room with this girl from Detroit who's got kilos of heroin and stuff. So I assume that's why they shut the water off. They didn't want me flushing, flushing anything, you know, but, uh, so yeah, I had all this like fake money just floating in the toilet, fucking printers everywhere. You know I mean? I was like caught fucking red handed, bro. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually they start kicking the door in It finally, you know, th this hotel had like steel reinforced doors. So it <laughs> took them like a solid five minutes. That's good. You good know, for you. Time, it felt like 40, 40 minutes, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Cause I'm just sitting on the bed. Like at that point I didn't, I mean, what the fuck am I going to do with a laptop and a printer and all this money everywhere? Like, yeah, you, yeah, you, know, you can try, point, but you ain't like, going to get no out. Point. Yeah, exactly. So I just, man. It'll pour out a little line of this dope and snort a line because I know I'm going to jail for a long time. I know I'm going to be dope sick in the morning. I'd light a cigarette and just sit there and wait for him. You know what I mean? Um, they finally kicked the door in. And, uh, you know, it was like I saw Secret Service patches on a bunch of, you know, agents, fucking the drug task force, organized crime unit, KPD, Knox County sheriffs, just like. The, the room filled up real quick with a bunch of motherfuckers. Um, and, you know, they threw me on the bed, handcuffed me, the whole the whole deal. Now, when they take you in... The, the drug task force guy. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. 
oh, well, the, the drug task force guy tried to like interrogate me, seeing, you know, I mean, if I'd give up these drug dealers, but like, <clears throat> I, I mean, obviously I told him, I was like, listen, bro, I'm like, you're arresting me for counterfeit money. What are you even here for? You know what I mean? I was like, and even if I did cooperate with you, like that's not going to help me at all with the secret service. So it's like, you just get, get the fuck lost. And of course that pissed them off and you know, they threw me in the paddy wagon or whatever. So then when they get you and they realize how big you are and how good you are, the secret service, what they call they call you into almost like a proffer situation, but not a proffer, but sit you down and they're, they're like, this is the best we've seen in 25 years, blah, blah, blah. How was that conversation? Um, well, it took them a while because, like, in the hotel room, when I, I told the guy to fuck off, I basically said, I'm not talking to you without a lawyer. <clears throat> so, like, I guess once you say that, they're not allowed to question you anymore. So, <clears throat> you know, they took me to Knox County Jail on state charges. Because <clears throat> um, I guess, like, the feds needed to get a warrant to go through my computer and all that stuff. So I sat in Knox County jail for like three and a half months until finally, uh, I had a court date. I go, you know, they transport me to the courthouse downtown. Uh, I go into like the County court, state court, whatever. They drop all my charges. And I knew like the feds were going to pick it up. Cause I saw the secret service patches and everything. But, uh, so like, as soon as they drop all my charges and in, in the state, they take me right across the street to the federal building, the, the marshals serve me the indictment. Um, and then I, you know, I sit in jail for another, maybe two months, a m- month or two or something. And then I get out on pretrial release in the feds, <clears throat> which they, they fought that they didn't want to let me out because, you know, I was living at a hotels at the time. I didn't have an address. Um, you know, at that point there was like $400,000 unaccounted for, um, you know, I'm from Florida living in, in Tennessee. I got set up by somebody in Cleveland. They know I'm dealing with people in Detroit and Atlanta. Like, so they were just like, well, this, you can't let this dude out of jail because, you know, he could potentially have a half a million dollars buried somewhere and he doesn't have an address and he's from you know, it was just a flight risk. Um, but of course we like fought it. I guess the, the bail reform act, uh, says like nonviolent, uh, you know, it was basically like a white collar crime, nothing to do with guns or drugs or violence or anything like that. Um, the judge approved it. So they let me out on pretrial. Um, I still pled not guilty at this point, which I knew I wasn't going to take it to trial. I was going to submit a change of plea eventually, but in order to get out on pretrial release, you, you know, you have to plead not guilty. So, and what were you looking uh, at on, did that. on pretrial release? What were you looking at? How much time? Uh, the it's, it's hard to say exactly because there's enhancements for the amount of money they find. Um, so like basically there's an enhancement once the number you counterfeit reaches over a hundred thousand and then another enhancement at a million. Um, so like at that time there was, I think about when they let me out on pretrial, there was like, they found $400,000 in the Eastern district of Tennessee. 
Um, there was more in other districts, but like my indictment was out of the Eastern District of Tennessee, and they said it was about 400,000. So I already got the enhancement for over 100,000. And with that enhancement, I was looking at like, I think it was like three to five years. Um, but they, you know, the Secret Service agent told me that, it, you know, if they find more than a million, if they're not, because the number they were finding like 10,000 every week that was hitting banks and, you know, still being circulated or whatever. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the, that was kind of a part of their, their plea offer was like, you know, you're looking at three to five years. That's with the enhancement over a hundred thousand. If we find more than a million, you'll be looking at like eight years or whatever it is. Um, but he was like, if you, if you plead guilty, we'll keep your restitution amount at like just under a hundred thousand. So we'll put it at like 96,000, which avoids that enhancement. Right. So like avoiding that enhancement, I'd be looking at like, I think it was like two years or like two to three or whatever. <clears throat> so I was like, okay. And, and they were like, basically we'll also not charge your wife. Cause my wife was like with me at the time they could have, you know, charged oh, her yeah, with the conspiracy, conspiracy as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, they were like, we know you guys are on drugs and you have a family and children. It's like, I don't want to see, you know, you and your wife go to prison and your kids not have their parents, whatever, which I'm sure that's just them. You know, they probably don't give a fuck really, but either way that, that was their bargaining chip was like, we won't charge your wife at all. We'll keep your restitution amount under a hundred thousand, which avoids the enhancement. And uh, on top of that, that's when they basically were like, you know, these bills are the best we've seen in like 25 years. Um, we'd like for you to explain, you know, where you learned this, who taught you this, you know, how you did everything. And, uh, he was like, if, if you let us film it, to make a training video for future secret service agents, we'll give you cooperation <laughs> credit as well. That's why I so was like, I call you cash me if you can, uh, you know, the movie cash me if you can. <laughs> when I, told, yeah, yeah. when I was telling Everybody Rob, yeah, when I was telling Rob, you were coming on and a couple other people, I said, I got you cash me if you can coming on. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, basically like avoiding that enhancement, got it knocked down to like two years. But then if I make this training video, um, you know, they give you like, I think, what's it? Uh, accepting guilt or, or right. responsibility, accepting responsibility yeah. uh, in a timely plea or whatever. It's like that's two, like 10 yeah. percent knocked off. Yeah. Two points or something. <clears throat> something two or three like that. points. Uh, <clears throat> so when, then, they, when they asked uh, you to do the uh, training the, video, what did you have to do in the training video? Like A to Z? You had to show them A to Z? <clears throat> and how long did they make you? go to them and show them how long were you dealing with them and showing them how to do what you did? Um, well, it was kind of awkward because I didn't, I didn't, the day we did it, I didn't know that we were doing it that day. Like, um, he basically, my lawyer was like, you know, Oh, the secret service want, cause I, I agreed to doing the video. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll make a video, whatever, like whatever you want me to do. I don't care. Um, so then like my lawyer was like, the secret service wants to meet you at the secret service headquarters or whatever. And I thought it was just for like, 
I don't know, some meeting or something, you know what I mean? So like me and my lawyer go down there and I walk in this big like boardroom and on this big table in, in the center of the room has like all my equipment from the hotel room that they rated. <laughs> it was already set up and everything. They already got a plug like, in I already had everything I needed. Yeah, but literally, because like when they raided my hotel room, I was in the process of making bills. So I already had the lacquer and the eyeshadow and all these certain pens and, you know, everything I needed to make money, they had in evidence because I was making money. Um, so yeah, like I walk in this big boardroom and there's all this equipment everywhere. Um, and there's like lights and cameramen and they mic me up and uh, I don't know, it was kind of like taken, you know, I was off guard because I didn't expect that we were filming this shit today. I thought we were just going to meet with the motherfuckers, but, uh, you know, so then like they finally mic me up and, and they introduced me to like the head of the counterfeiting department at the secret service. So I guess flew in from DC. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, my arresting officer, uh, special agent, Greg Watson was basically like, all right, go. <laughs> and I was like, what, what the fuck do you mean? Go like, what do you want to know? What do you, you know what I mean? Like, and he was like, just start talking about, you know, everything, how you learn this, what, you know? So I just, basically like kind of like an interview like this, I just, you know, explained, you know, I read, uh, read books. I found memos online published by the secret service about current counterfeiting trends. Like no one taught me how to do anything. I just read a lot and kind of figured it out for myself. Uh, I explained when, when they raided my hotel room, I had a couple of the new blue notes that I had counterfeited, um, with the three security ribbon and everything. So they were real interested in that, like how I learned how to do that and all this. Um, so I explained that process basically like I, uh, the company that, uh, that makes, uh, the paper and security features for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing is called Crane and Company. Um, or it's like Crane Currency and Crane and Company. But so they make this paper with the 3D security ribbon in it, and then they send it to the BEP and then they'll print on it. So, you know, I read that and basically figured like, oh, well, Crane and Company is a private company. So they probably have all their technology patented. So I went on Google Patents and looked up Crane and Company, searched for all these patents and found a patent under called Motion by Crane and Company which is their patent for their 3D security ribbon. Um, and reading through all the patent information, I found that they use this film called fly-eye lenticular lens arrays, which is like, it's like these little microscopic lenses, um, like little half spherical lenses. Um, but they're so small, it just looks like kind of this weird optical illusion film. You know what I mean? But you can print print on like paper say and then lay this film over top of it and the lenses allow you to see certain images based on the way you view it um so like and there's certain software that you can integrate the the digital files together based on the printer's dpi and the lens film's lpi which is lenses per inch mm -hmm. so you punch in the lpi and dpi of the printer and then you put like a few different images, upload it into this software, and it automatically integrates it for the specific lens array film that you have. Um, 
So, you know, you need a really high resolution printer, like almost a micro printer to do it. Um, but you know, I was able to print, um, you know, let print these, these integrated, integrated images, um, and then lay this lens film over top of it just right. And it's got a sticker on the back. You just stick it on, cut it out. Um, the Bible paper you had to cut just right with like the, the front of the bill. I had to cut out where the 3d security ribbon went. It was really hard to do. Um, but I was able to counterfeit the new blue notes, like almost perfectly, which is like unheard of apparently, but it took me like an hour to make one of these bills because there's so much work that goes into it. Um, so I just kept going with the 96 series, you know what I mean? Cause those were passive. Um, but I knew eventually, you know what I mean? The 96 series will be more and more rare as time goes on. So I was trying to perfect these blue notes and I, I got pretty fucking close. Um, but again, I, I just kept doing the 96 series because, you know, for the sake of making money, it was just easier. Um, but so that, yeah, I explained all that to them, um, about the patents and this, uh, fly eye lenticular lens array film company called Microlux, um, that I found online. It's like some vendor that sells the, uh, the lens film. Now, when you're done um, telling them software that about how you did everything, when you're done explaining everything, I got the paper from here. I use ink here. I can do the blue note, this note. Nobody taught me. I looked up the patent. <laughs> They had to have been looking at you like you looked up the patent and read the patent. You, you know, you figured out this, mm -hmm. that they had. I mean, they had yeah. to have been looking at you thinking, how in the fuck did this guy know all this? Like, what was there when you were done with that <laughs> training video and they asked every question under the book? You know, who told you? Don't lie to us. We know somebody taught, you know, the bullshit. When they realized that you really figured all this out yourself, <laughs> what was their reaction? I, uh, I, they, they I, I'm going to take a really? there had to be one or two haters like this motherfucker no no not at the time because they caught me <laughs> they, <laughs> this, this, I was like their trophy yeah 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 you know what I mean because like the my arresting officer Greg Watson um, you know at first in the hotel room he was fucking pissed like the first things he said to me was like you motherfucker my phone's been blowing up all day every day for two years because because <laughs> like i guess he was like the eight agent in charge of the case so every bill that hit the bank or was recovered or whatever like they'd call him so he was like his phone has just been blowing up like literally i, I was spending like 20 30 40 bills every single day oh um, he's so he a phone call you. from every yeah. So he was real pissed at first, but then once I agreed to, uh, you know, made the plea agreement, said I plead guilty, told him I'd explain everything. Then he got the call the head of the counterfeiting department in DC and be like, you know, like show me off to his boss, you know, like, Oh, I caught this guy. You know what I mean? So I'm sure he, he was happy, you know what I mean? And he even told me, he was like, most of my time is spent, uh, you know, investigating this like prop money, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so the secret service deals with a lot of like bullshit kids photocopying crappy looking bills and a lot of this prop money that's being sold on the internet. And, and you know, so he, he said, he was like, most of my day is dealing with this bullshit counterfeit money. He's like, it's not, it's, it's pretty rare that we come across like a professional, you know, counterfeiter that, that, you know, is doing, doing the damn thing. Rob wants to ask you something. Go ahead, Rob. So, you know, you have, 
all this counterfeit money you, you did over the years, right? And nowadays, like, not many people carry cash. Like, I don't carry any cash, rarely. Uh, everything's digital money, right? We got, you know, debit cards, credit cards, all that type of stuff. You see the biggest scam now with the gas station pumps, right? Where they put that little thing on the pump, you put your card in, and all of a sudden you got charges coming from Amazon and Walmart and all these places, but they never catch those dudes. I don't think I've ever read one report where one of those dudes has ever been caught. Like, counterfeit money, I'm sure, still on the list they watch out for, but do you think that's like their number one, that's who they're looking for, and how do these guys get away with it? Um, well, as far as I know, with the, the credit card fraud, a lot of that is done like internationally and it's done in different stages. So like one person like, and John Boziak obviously knows a, a lot about, about this. <laughs> um, like there's hackers in like the Ukraine that'll steal people's information. And then they sell that information in dumps online to people who might card that information onto a, a counterfeit credit card. And then they will sell them on the dark web to people who use them. You know what I mean? So it's really like kind of levels of organized crime in a sense to where it's, it's hard to catch the people. Um, but the gas, you know, and I'm sure they, they do probably. Yeah. What he, what, what he's that? saying, <clears throat> what he's saying, Jeff is when you go to the gas station and you put your credit card in the gas station, then you pull it out, mm -hmm. and then next thing you know, you got 47 different charges on that credit card because there was a card reader in the credit card machine at the gas station. How aren't those people getting caught? You never read about them getting caught. Never. There's cameras and everything. There's cameras everywhere, all over the place. So, like, is that done within? You know, like, the guy who owns the gas station quick, quick uh, unplugs the camera and puts the fucking reader in, or what? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I've never really got into it too much. Um, but also like, you've got to think when a fraudulent charge hits your card, like you can just wave it as fraud and the credit card companies eat that or have insurance for it or whatever. So also there's as many victims per se, you know what I mean? I'm sure if you, if, if your card was used to purchase stuff on Amazon, um, and you had to eat that money, there'd be a lot of people calling the police office, you know, freaking out. <laughs> but like in this case, it's just like Visa just waves it as fraud and they're probably insured. So it's, it's probably just the, the nature of the game for them. You know what I mean? Oh, I would think, oh, I mean, so you think, I, I know the secret service. So you think that the reason why we don't hear about it is because, okay, I put my card in, I get hit for a thousand. I call my card, the thousands back. I never make a police report. So there's not enough police reports because the insurance on the card, the bank, so on and so forth, because of there's not so many reports, you don't hear about these people getting caught all the time because the customer is getting their money back anyway. I would think so. I mean, that would make sense to me because I mean, like I just had a fraudulent like a fraud alert come up on my debit card and I called the bank and said that wasn't me. And they were like, okay. And put the money back. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, it's not like I called the police, like my, I didn't get my money taken. And now I'm sure on some higher level, like the banks and financial institutions are out money, but they're also probably insured. So it just goes to the insurance. 
And then the insurance, that's their business. They want, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's a lot of these white collar crimes are, I don't want to say victimless because there's definitely victims, but like, it's almost just like a nature of the beast. You know what I mean? Like Walmart expects to lose $2 billion a year to fraudulent transaction or whatever. You know what I mean? They just like account for it in their booking, you know, and bookkeeping. And how, I mean, and how many, um, how many, I guess, counterfeiters do you think are still out there? Like I said, a lot of people don't use cash. I, I shouldn't say like that because I'm one of them, but there's a lot of people that really don't use cash anymore. Everybody has a card, like I said, but how many counterfeiters do you think are still out there? And how many counterfeit bills do you think are still circulating around? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because it, it seems like to me there's really only like a couple different levels of quality when it comes to counterfeit. You know what I mean? You either know what you're doing or you don't. Mm -hmm. And the ones who don't, those bills get caught real quick. You know what I mean? If it's a bad looking bill, it might not even pass the register. Um, but whereas if, if there's like a professional counterfeiter out there who's making really high quality bills, then, I mean, those bills could go, uh, circulate for a long time and people wouldn't even know it. So, I mean, there's definitely still counterfeiters out there. Um, after I started doing podcasts, a lot of people have like hit me up asking me questions and stuff, which obviously I don't like get involved with, you know what I mean? But run, run, run. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be a temptation though, for someone to print money. I mean, that's, you know, as long as there's poverty, there's going to be somebody out there, you know, racking their brain on ways to, to make money. And really not to say that it's easy, but, you know, thinking about it, the easiest way to make money is to just print your own money. Um, but it's just, it's not that, it's not that easy. It's hard to do to actually make any, anything of significant quality. You know what I mean? Has, but yeah, has, I'd say there's definitely bills in circulation right now. I mean, obviously. Has the bills changed from the time when you got caught? How much better is the bill from then versus now, or is it the same? Oh, it's the same. I mean, when I was doing it, it was only three years ago. And they didn't, this podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast. Monster Energy. Real. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, it's, no, real. It's, real. it's real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you, now, couldn't, you couldn't pay me to touch a counterfeit bill right now. Fuck that. Now, now, Jeff, you're the perfect person to ask this. What do you think about this uh, crypto, Bitcoin? Me, personally, we've had... We've had like the heads of the association, everybody you can imagine with this crypto thing. Me personally, I wouldn't buy it. With, well, if you have a gun to my head, maybe I'll buy it. But other than having a gun to my head, I just, I refuse to touch it. So 
being that you didn't do that, but would you not agree, to ask it like this, would you not agree that when there's that kind of money floating around with this crypto and Bitcoin, there has to be a puppet master? There's somebody pulling the strings. There's too much money. 100%. 100%, right? So And, for- and you know... <laughs> It, it sketches me out because the founder of Bitcoin is staying anonymous. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? The guy that has like 800 million Bitcoin or whatever it is, that's Satoshi, whatever. Yep. Or, uh, or who the you, fact that he's like, no, 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 in no, the no. Jeff, Jeff, is Jeff, even Jeff. more sketchy. It's who you think has 800 million in Bitcoin. You think it's Satoshi, but is it Satoshi? Yeah, yeah. Putin's don't exactly. pray. That's what I'm saying. He's staying, he's staying anonymous as fuck. And that's probably not even his real name, I would think. So I mean, I don't I, I look at I and I don't I'm not an expert on cryptocurrency by any means. Um, but like just from an outsider's view, I look at it as like kind of like a pump and dump scheme. Like yeah. it's not a long-term investment. It, it there a lot of people obviously made a lot of money. Um but I think that the heyday of making a lot of money on crypto is probably over. And unless, I mean, once it reaches that like market cap or whatever, it may go back and skyrocket. I mean, it, it, I would, I mean, it may be smart to, to have some Bitcoin put away, you know, just in case it, it skyrockets when, when it reaches its cap. But I mean, I wouldn't invest my like life savings in cryptocurrency. <laughs> you know, what I mean? the whole like uh, FTX thing or whatever. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that's the, like I don't know. There's just a lot of fraud going on with that shit. I'm sure. Yeah, be- there has to be. I I didn't realize that the FTX thing. It was the exchange that was hacked, not the actual Bitcoin, <clears throat> Bitcoin itself. But still, yeah. But still, I I. But I, how, I, how do you buy and sell cryptos though? Ex- unless you go through an exchange. Uh, you could you know buy, I mean? yeah, you, so it, you could buy it like directly on, on the blockchain, but, but still going back to the principle, if there's a billion dollars around or 2 billion, there has to, to me, it's just mindless to think that there's not somebody pulling the strings that goes like this up 20 K down 10 K up 30 K there's too much money to me. That there's nobody behind it. Yeah. Not Satoshi. I think Satoshi invented it and probably got a nice paycheck and he went on his way to Guam and is living in Guam on a nice life. And somebody like Putin has a big percentage of it. And I just don't see how anybody could possibly think that billions of dollars or whatever amount that there is of crypto is floating around and there's nobody behind that pulling the strings. That to me, that's insane. Yeah. And like you, you mentioned a pump and dump. Even in a pump and dump, people make money, legit money, as long as you're not on the dump end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's obvious that that there are people that have made hundreds of millions of dollars on cryptocurrencies, you know. But that's also, I mean, any market with a significant amount of money flow is there's going to be somebody out there at least trying to manipulate it. You know what I mean? Well, there's, there's too much money involved for there not to be some kind of corruption or fraud. Right. Well, I mean? well, it's just like when, when you go into a casino, they're the most beautiful plate, most beautiful chandeliers, lighting, everything. Why do you think that they're the most beautiful buildings? They have the best fights because it's a casino. 
It's a pump and dump. It's just a yeah. legal pump and dump is what it is. Yeah. You're not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the fucking <laughs> I mean, lottery. You can, you, you can win at the casino. That, that is a good analogy, really. Like, cause you can go into the casino and, you know, play a hundred thousand, lose, play a hundred thousand, win, play another hundred thousand, win again, and then walk away. You can make money at a casino, but if you sit there, if you, if you're expecting crypto to be, to be your retirement plan, like I'll, I'll say a prayer for you, because right. But but see, Jeff, I mean, Jeff, I don't I, know. I look at it like this. So you can walk into a casino with ten grand. If we have a thousand people here, and we say, okay, everybody gets ten grand. The people that win, say a hundred people out of those ten thousand win. How many people do you think actually walk away or go back in and say, oh, if I won fifty grand, maybe I can make a hundred grand, my buddy. <laughs> or they lost yeah. ten, or they lost the ten grand. They go pull out another ten grand to make that ten grand back and go bet it again. Yeah, just like with the Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Just like the Bitcoin, they go buy it at twenty, <clears throat> drops to ten. Ah, oh, it's going to go back up to thirty. I'm going to buy another ten at. I'm going to buy another ten thousand at ten thousand because yeah. I know it's going to go back up to forty. You know what I mean? To me, there's no difference, which is why I stay the fuck away from both of them. Yeah, and and that's the other thing. It seems like with cryptocurrencies, it's like exploded uh, so much in in the past few years that now you've got a lot of people investing that have never invested before. You know what I mean? They don't really necessarily know what they're doing. You know what I mean? I mean, I think uh, most people have bought at least some crypto. You know, just because of all the hype about it. You know, whether it's somebody who just goes and buys $200 worth of crypto just to sit on it or, you know, whatever. But if you think about that throughout the whole world, I mean, that's there's a lot of money flow going on. And, and, to, and to think that nobody's behind people, Come on. Yeah, I mean, I feel you on that. Uh, you know, then, I don't I, I had crypto at one point, but I, I don't mess with it anymore. I can't I don't even think I can being on federal probation. They're pretty strict about <laughs> what I can buy and spend money on and I have to do financial investigations every six months and yeah. give bank statements and all that stuff. Yeah. All, all you need is, a still, all you need like, is a uh, Coinbase in your, uh, that monthly thing that you have to fill out. Just write Coinbase in there. You'll be called in. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Turner, yeah, uh, two o'clock on uh, Friday, code red. <laughs> yeah. I'd say so. And yeah. Then, they, man, they, the NFT yeah, thing is crazy. I only owe, yeah. Yeah. That, that's another thing. NFT. I mean, I don't know much about that, but from what I do know, it's like, that just seems even worse as far as like, Copyright. I just don't understand the value. I don't understand the value in it though. Like it's one thing to buy and, you know, to assign value to something, but like people are selling NFTs for millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars. It's like, I don't see, I, I just don't see that. I don't see that either. Personally. And then I, I see that as laundering money. And then I see also how mm -hmm. can you see, how can you sell a, how can you sell a Mike Tyson NFT? You think Mike Tyson's okay with you making a million dollars off of his NFT? You don't think that one day yeah. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you know all these athletes that have names that built their career, you know what I mean? You're gonna sell their picture. Because it's an NFT and you're buying it with Bitcoin, what do you think? <laughs> you're going to get away with yeah. that? Right now, if we made a fake, uh, fake Michael Jordan rookie card 
and we go to a card show and sell it for yeah. fifty thousand, we're screwed. But you could sell it as an image yeah. on NFT, and and sooner or later, you don't think that at some point they're going to come down on that. Where there's money, they're coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I considered counterfeiting a uh, sports memorabilia at one point, like making printing fake, uh, you know, rookie yeah. cards and shit. I tried, but I tried when I was I a know. kid. I tried because I couldn't get the Michael Jordan Did rookie. I, well, I, I mean, not real. I was like 15, but I just wanted to have it. So I kept trying to copy it on a shit yeah. fucking printer. But uh, <laughs> I mean, there's really not many security features on that. On on the like, get a, a Jeter rookie card or something. You know, I don't know what's it worth. Like maybe twelve hundred bucks or something. But it's better than a hundred dollar bill at that point because there's there's not really any security features on on trading cards. You know what I mean? And think about the uh, some of them have like holograms and stuff. But. Oh, but uh, think about like Lou Gehrig. That's worth like a hundred thousand dollars, and that was like the seventies. Yeah. So I mean, that would be easy yeah. as cake. You know, I went to, uh, I went to sell a bracelet, right? And I went to uh, this exchange, and they said that these three D printers. I, I even I had the receipt and everything. They said that the three D printers can print out any Cartier gold bracelet, necklace, ring, whatever, so perfect that they won't even buy used anymore. That the 3D printer is just so unbelievably good that you can't tell a 3D printed Cartier love bracelet from one at the store. So like, really? So the exchanges won't even with like made of gold and stuff. Yeah, made of real gold because you know you're paying for the name. So if you're paying five grand for a bracelet in gold weight, it's probably a thousand. You're just paying for the Cartier. So if you could 3D yeah, print yeah. that for a thousand bucks and then go take it and sell it for five, you, you know, you would do the same thing yeah, as you did at sure. Walmart. One guy to the next guy to the next guy, real quick, you get a million dollars. Yeah. Um, hey, counterfeiting is a is a big market, not just for currency. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like China is pumping out those fake Rolexes and <laughs> yeah, I heard you about know, you that. Buy them for four hundred dollars online, and the and like the- stuff with papers and boxes and everything. And, and you know, some some jewelers can't tell the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, because uh, so. I I do uh, SEO for one of the companies, and they have uh, they have a a Rolex. What do you call that? A, a, like a Rolex master. Like he went to school just for Rolex. And uh, the la- I went down there maybe two months ago to get like the updates. And he, he again, he said that pretty soon they're going to stop uh, even considering used Rolexes because these fucking 3D printers, you could take them apart. Mm-hmm. You could scan them, the blue light, the green light, the purple light. It doesn't matter. They're just getting too good. Yeah. Actually, I... Uh... I won't say too much, but yeah. when I was arrested, they <laughs> they found a bunch of counterfeit uh, gold bullion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, replica Pamp Swiss bars and Johnson Matthews and Cougarons and yeah. Um, yeah. So I won't say what I was doing with them. Yeah, they, they, found, they didn't charge me with them, but. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, you there are websites that sell counterfeit Pamp Swiss, you know, one ounce gold bars for like twenty five bucks. It's not insane, and it's like tungsten, gold plated, like thick gold plated, so it passed the tests and all that. Plus, it's a Pamp Swiss, so it's like sealed in a certificate of authenticity, basically. But yeah, the, you got to be careful anything you buy nowadays if it's not from a reputable vendor. 
it's almost like if you don't have the money to just walk it like before you know people would say you never buy anything brand new you know never buy a brand new car never buy a brand new watch because the second you walk out the store you lost however much money now if you don't buy it from the store brand new who the fuck knows if it's real yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah for sure counterfeiting is a huge market dude like, especially with, like, all the designer stuff, Louis Vuitton bags and all that. China's just pumping that shit out, man. Yep. All of it. And it's supposedly it's it's flawless, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, when, um, you know, can't blame, can't blame China, I guess. They're, they're making their money. Hey, can't, can't hate on them, right? <laughs> so, uh, so with your whole story, are, are you shopping it to be a documentary? I mean, you got, you got the story, man. I mean, I swear, it's like a catch me if you can almost. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I'm writing a book right now Good for uh, you. myself. And I've optioned my life rights to a film company, which that's uh, the, the first draft. Actually, they just sent me the first draft of the script uh, like yesterday, I think, or the day before yesterday. Congratulations. Um, and that's, you know, in development now. Thank you. Um Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure where, you know, where it'll go. And I don't even know much about it. It's a, a director, Alex McLean um, from Rogue Films and one of his screenwriters, Tom Gronenberg. They're they're doing doing all all the work. I just kind of signed the paper and, <laughs> you know, it, just waiting, waiting to hear something about it. But it's it's in development now, the film and, and my book, I'm about six five or six chapters in which that's a long process writing a book man oh yeah um but especially like i'm working right now so it's like i I have to squeeze in time to write you know i mean i'll write like a paragraph a night kind of thing if i'm lucky so it's it's taking a long time but you know it's it's getting there keep at it man keep at it man um if when this does happen and it will who would if you had a pick who would you pick to play you what actor, if you could pick any actor, what actor would you pick to play you? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to judge. Like uh, based on physical appearance, I, I don't even know. I don't have the movie star mug really. But I mean, shit. If 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 the film gets made and all that, I don't care who plays me. You know, <laughs> really. Johnny Depp. It'll be a nice. Uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah. That motherfucker's seventy years old now. What do you, <laughs> <laughs> bro? He looks- listen, listen to me. There's nobody hey, like Johnny hey, Depp. Johnny Depp wants to play me. I'll take it. I'll take Johnny Depp for sure. Listen, listen, listen <laughs> to me, Jeff. Johnny Depp goes and gets mangled for months at a clip with his band. And within two weeks, he shapes up and comes out with Black Mass and fucking does, you know, 700 million in the box office. Goes and gets whacked yeah. for another nine months. Comes out with Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know yeah. how he does it. I don't know how he cleans up, but. Believe me, if they picked him, it would be fine. That'd be good. You could buy me a car <laughs> and a house and rob it. <laughs> I think Depp or, Col- yeah, or Colin sure. Farrell. Colin Farrell. Who would you pick, Rob? Colin Farrell? Yeah. He, Colin Farrell. He uh, he was in a Miami Vice. Uh, Is that the, the Irish dude? Uh, yeah, he's got like an Irish. Isn't he Irish? Yeah, he's got a little bit of an Ir- Ireland accent. Yeah. Who would you pick? Yeah, yeah. Who would you hey, pick? That'd be cool. God, I don't know. Looking at him, uh, maybe a stretch, but uh, maybe Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, maybe. 
Hey, Damn. I'll take Bradley Cooper. All right. Bradley Cooper, yeah. Maybe. Bradley Cooper, Depp, or Colin Farrow. Tell that guy that you <laughs> tell the guy that you signed your life rights over to that you want Depp, yeah, Colin yeah. Farrow, or Cooper, or your or fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> you got anything else, Rob? Yeah. All right, man, Jeff. Hey, in February, why don't you come in and then we could do it in person? It would be so much better. We could pull up some of the the cool machines and shit like that and and all that stuff. And then uh everybody your youtube or to find you we'll have it all in the description and then uh when this comes out throughout the video being that we had to do this on zoom i'll have your youtube in there like a box beside your head but give everybody every way that they can get a hold of you and reach you and book you and everything else man um well right now i'm uh you know i'm on facebook uh as jeff turner from knoxville i don't really know how else to describe it i'm on instagram which is j period turner 727 uh i've got a youtube channel uh that's jeff turner um i've got a tiktok that's jeffrey patrick turner yeah you know and I, I basically just started those up actually i posted a tiktok what, like a day or two ago and it just got thirty thousand views i was kind of surprised well, you Surprised are surprised how quick that that you, you are the best counterfeiter in 25 years. The guy, so, oh, so oh. I, I would expect it if, <laughs> if if you play that right, you know what I mean. We have it up here. Yeah. We have it up on the screen here. Your TikTok, uh, Jeffrey Pack yeah. Turner. Your uh, YouTube at Jeff Turner six five nine. Instagram J dot Turner seven two seven. I know you already said that, but I was just trying to help you out even more. <laughs> Anything, cool. Rob? Appreciate it, man. <laughs> all right jeff man i appreciate your time you're awesome dude i wish you the best congratulations on writing a book that's a bitch and uh congratulations on yeah. the future deal you'll get it stay at it man cool man thanks for having me anytime we'll talk soon thank you again thank you all right thanks thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm.